0: listening to Radio Maria and this is Father Toby with the Friarside um and it's been a, a long break since we last read from uh, Father Herbert McCabe's series of essays on the the nature of faith and reason and their interaction um but we're going to we're going to pick pick it up today and uh, and if you're listening for the first time uh today um and want to listen to what we've listened before there are um, a number of uh of podcasts available on this on the on the Fryer side. You can go on Spotify or Apple Play or whatever other podcast provider you use, and just look at the Radio Maria England channel, and you'll be able to find them under the tag the Fryer side, or just scroll through. Um, but in in when we were last reading from the the second essay in this series, which is entitled Are Creeds Credible. We were starting to speak about the nature of the divine life uh, growing, growing within us, um, and then just looking a little bit at how uh, faith uh, sort of answers this desire to to know more than we're able to to know uh, through uh, by by our own our own means. Um, we've come to the the limits of what we can know by our by ourselves. But we still sense that there must be more to to know. There are there are fundamental questions about the the nature of reality and the the meaning of our lives that we are unable to, to answer for ourselves. In other words, sort of philosophy and, and science have reached their their limits. And is that simply it? Must we just resign ourselves to the fact that that though we have this desire to know more? it's ultimately to be to be frustrated it's a futile desire and as we mentioned before some people have used this uh, argument from desire as an argument for the existence of god pointing out that every desire in our human nature say for 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 food for, for comfort for warmth for all these other things is capable of being satisfied and saying that there cannot be this sort of one desire um to to know our creator and to know the meaning of life why would we have this desire alongside all those other desires if it was incapable of being satisfied if it was only ever going to be frustrated um i think that's you know one one argument that you can make i don't think it's the the strongest argument for the existence of god but i don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, when I say I don't think it's the strongest argument, I just mean that it personally, it's not the most compelling argument for me. Um, but I think it's a, a sound argument. Um, so let's just uh, pick up just before we sort of let off, um, which is about what is uh, Father Herbert sort of saying that the the acceptance of faith is what sort of. Is this, and and as we might recall, he he's already introduced the idea that there are there are certain occasions in life where it's unreasonable not to have faith. Um, For example, he gave the the example of a of a man who's just insistent on not trusting his wife and actually saying this is a an unreasonable thing to do, and in fact an an immoral thing to do where there is no good cause for that lack of trust, or he deals with the the man for example who leaves his house and then starts to question whether i've uh, really locked the door or not and then goes back and and checks and sort of relocks the door and then takes a few paces and then says oh but can i actually be certain that when i thought i was locking the door there i didn't just somehow unlock it by mistake and then saying no at a certain point you have to you have to choose to believe um and he makes the point that but very often when we sort of choose choose to believe, we're not actually conscious of of the act of the the will of of choosing. Um it just, you know, we we trust the person telling us or the argument seems compelling and belief naturally follows on. But nonetheless, even though we're not always aware of the of the act of the the act of the will. Um so, you know, having having had the arguments put before me or sort of recalling my own experience. Whilst we might not always be aware of, like the choosing to believe, that nonetheless um, faith and choosing to believe is is ultimately it's presented to us through the intellect, but it's an act of the will which chooses to believe. And he says there are there are there are types of people who think of faith and particularly religious faith as the acceptance of the absurd. And he says that there are there are two um, main characterizations of these sorts of people. So he says, people in the first set say, what a splendid thing faith is. It means a reaching out beyond all human criticism. The man of faith does not care about the carping of mere logicians. And this sort of category of a person, hopefully it sounds... Strange to uh, to to Catholics, who have a, a very strong intellectual um, tradition examining the interaction of faith and reason, but there are certain Protestant denominations and even some very fine sort of Protestant theologians who have um, championed this sort of act of faith as the as the rejection of of reason. Um, and see the sort of any creeping in of sort of reason into our into into our faith as sort of refusing the the divine um as sort of putting the the divine to 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 judgment um according to to human criteria and so they think that sort of faith is to be. Almost a completely sort of reason-free zone in in terms of the the act of the will of accepting it. Obviously, then these theologians do use their use their brains, use their reason, um, in order to sort of ponder further uh, the the objects of faith, what God has revealed to us. But but nonetheless, they think that that sort of the actual actual belief, um, is a heroic sort of rejection of of everything. That uh, the sort of the the atheist philosophers try to, to try to persuade us, and it's not that I've argued against them and come to different conclusion, but but rather it's not a not a matter of the intellect at all. And then he he says that there's a second category of people, and the second category of people say what a dangerous and foolish thing faith is, um, but for the same reason. Um and so here they they see well, yeah, faith is a is an abandonment of reason, and what a crazy thing it is! What an absurd and dangerous thing it is to abandon our reason. Look, you know, it's it's the act of a madman, and look what happens when uh, when people live um, having abandoned their reason. Um, interesting that you know, and, and that I'm more sympathetic actually to that to that position. Um. Though I don't think the act of faith is the abandonment of reason. Nonetheless, there's an interesting quote from G.K. Chesterton when he, when he says the, the sane, the set, the the insane man is the is the man who has lost um everything but his reason. Um, and like with some of Chesterton's aphorisms, there's a there's a little bit of sort of exaggeration in that. Um, but we can see what what happens actually to to people who kind of live um. Never taking anything on on faith, um, you know, not not accepting anything but the matter of their own reason. If you if you speak to some people who are who are suffering from from mental illness, their their arguments in a certain sense are, are sort of watertight. Their questioning of of everything, their suspicion um, that people are out there, their 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 ability to be able to sort of rebut any argument that you put for against their. Against their paranoia, because they've they've lost something else other than their their reason, and life lived by reason alone actually turns out to be quite an unreasonable way of living, and so McCabe says that it seems to him that both these sets of people are wrong, and that he would claim that our divinity. Um, and if you go back to previous episodes, there's um, we've got some content on the on the divine life within us, our participation in the in the life of the divine. He says they would claim that our divinity, one manifestation of which is our faith, transcends our humanity, but is certainly not opposed to it. The spirit of Christ by which we live is not destructive, but creative. It does not reject anything human. And as I think I said at the, the end of the last um, sort of episode um, of the Fry Side on this on this topic, that there's a, a famous sort of dictum said by people who are sort of guided by the, the thought of St. Thomas uh, Aquinas, um, that uh, grace builds upon nature. It does not destroy it, um, which means that sort of nothing of what is proper to us um, is destroyed by faith destroyed by the beginnings of the divine life um in us rather in a sense where we're extended or our, our capacities are fully fully opened up so we we lose nothing um proper to us by by faith and participation in the divine life rather in fact we are, are made capable of what is proper to us but that we were not capable of doing by ourselves So Father Herbert asked the question, what does it mean to say that the divine life transcends the human? And he says simply this, that because we are divine, we have a destiny, a purpose which is beyond any purpose we could have as merely human. However we envisage human fulfillment, human perfection or human happiness, our divine purpose is far beyond this. And because we have this greater end in view, we organize our human life with a view to something greater than it. And he then wants to return to the the comparison with uh, sort of children, um, and their and their parents or or teacher. Um, you might recall, uh, he uses this this example quite a lot um, to describe something of the the nature of faith, where there is something to be passed on by a trusted person and so he says left to themselves children will organise their world in certain terms this or that is important this or that is unimportant and so on and he says on the whole the world of children will be organised in terms of their desires and pleasures and pains though there will of course be hints of a larger world a dim recognition that there is a lot more in life than all that And he says that when the parent or teacher comes on the scene, this enclosed world is broken into to some extent. And because of what they learn from their teachers, children will reorganize their world. They will believe that certain apparently unimportant things are really very important, like washing and learning to write. They cannot see why these are immensely important but normally, and if they have the right sort of relationship with their teachers, they will believe that they are and be prepared to sacrifice their own scale of values for their sake. And I think that rings quite true. Um, you know, what child, um, if you leave them to themselves, decides actually, you know, you ought to set aside time to, uh, to, do, to do the washing. Um, you might even find some adults who haven't learned that lesson from uh, from in in childhood, um, certainly sometimes with me, it's not the not the greatest priority in my life. But nonetheless, for the the sake of hygiene and the sake of others, I recognise that it has to be done. Um, so, re- resume. He M- McCabe says that, that you know children are prepared to sacrifice their own scale of values for the for the sake of the adults. Um, and in part, that's because they 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 trust the adults, and the adults hold a certain authority. So he says, their purpose as potential adults transcends their child's purpose. But again, because they really are children and really are potential adults, there is no fundamental opposition between the two. Education does not have to make children miserable. He says, there have been educationists who thought that you were not really educating children unless they were doing something they actively disliked he says these are like the people who think that faith has to be absurd on the other hand of course there have been people who just thought the opposite that you are not really educating children unless they do what they like and these are like the people who say that there can be no belief which transcends any human reason and this is a refusal to believe that the adult world transcends the child world and just again sort of uh, saying how the with education um you know those who believe that the the child ought to be miserable um in order to be educated and those who believe that the child ought only ever to do what they want to do because if they're sort of educated according to adult values that they will be miserable that actually although they have sort of very different um uh Sort of con- ways that they want to live their life, the the premises that they work from are quite similar, and we see that actually in in terms of some of the the ideologies that exist in in contemporary society. Like if you look at the the far left and the and the far right now, in fact they they both seem to hold quite racist views. Um, some you know will say that a that a certain race are sort of uh, in, inherently. You know, lazy and uh, and incapable of of ever achieving anything, and uh, and and therefore are inferior. And there are others who say that unless we give this um, same race uh, sort of um, positive discrimination, unless we let them into instit- institutions with lower grades, then they will never be able to achieve the same as um, as other other races. And in fact. They both have a uh, sort of one, one an explicit sort of uh, racism, but the other one, uh, uh, an implicit racial sort of undertone. And if you look at a lot of the things which are really fracturing societies now, though, those on the, those on the extremes are actually operating from the from the same premises, which are which are very very um, di- divisive. And so that's something something worth um, considering. Slightly off topic, uh, but it's an uh, I think an an interesting thought. We're going to go to a little bit of uh music now to uh, give some some rest and, and nourishment to our minds as we uh pick up um again after the after the break looking at the the interaction of the of the the divine life um with the the purely human life. listening to radio maria and this is father toby with the friar um, where we're reading from father herbert mccabe's essay are creeds credible and uh, examining the the interaction of the divine life and the human life father herbert says the divine life because it transcends human life will involve some reorganization Of human life towards a larger world the world of eternity and we can just think about that um for a moment and and see you know how that has obvious ramifications that if we are if we are made for for eternity then the the goals of our our life are going to look um different than if we think that we are are made um just for this mortal coil in the same way that we would expect somebody's um life who thought they were going to to live for a a week um to look different um to look different to the person who thought that they were going to live for for 10 years and yet we would want to find some way in which that the the way that the person sort of lived for 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 10 years um wasn't sort of just a, a life of seeming frustration whilst the the person who lived for a week just did everything they'd ever wanted to to do um i think in our in our lives we have to sort of try and find that sort of balance whereby we we recognize that actually living towards our eternal goals makes us happy in the in the here and now and McCabe says that we meet an additional complication once we realize um, that uh, the the divine life uh, orients us towards this world of eternity. He says it's not just a matter of reorienting human life, because a certain amount of repair work is needed first. Briefly, according to Christian belief, man was created with divine life as well as his human life, but he lost his divinity by the fall and this also damaged his humanity. The result of this is that we need to make certain efforts of reorganization even to lead a properly human life, never mind a divine one. In fact, without the grace of divine life, we are so enfeebled that we cannot even manage the job of living a human life. Um, what, what he's saying here is that the, the fall impacts not just our ability to reach heaven, um, but our ability to to simply live well here on earth not to quarrel with one another not to murder rob and steal from one another um, and in fact you know, as, as we will see living well here here on earth i um, living living truly well is actually a preparation for for d- divine life but he says we have so much tendency to wishful thinking to taking as true what we would like to be true, that if we try to run our lives simply on the basis of what seems good to us, we are liable to act in a less-than-human way. Even in order to live a human life, therefore, we need to make certain sacrifices, to give up things that seem at first sight desirable, to do a certain amount of violence to what look like ordinary human tendencies. And here we can go back to the sort of analogy that that he uses with children. Um, that you, if you look at young children, it doesn't come naturally to them to to share. Um, you know, they just see an object that they that they want, and they don't care whose it is or who happens to be holding it at the time. And and cherishing it, they want it, and they will do everything that they can to get it. And we have to teach children the the notion of sort of private property in a sense no that that belongs to her um and we also have to teach them the, the the notion of of the good of sharing in that this might belong to you um but that doesn't mean you have to have exclusive use of it um that in fact you can share it and both enjoy it um and we i think we would want to say that that we don't sort of teach um sharing um simply because uh you know, it just makes life more sort of harmonious but we teach sharing because it is actually genuinely good but the child initially c- cannot cannot recognize that that good there doesn't seem to be them anything good in that and and there's a way in which much of the sort of religious teaching is is designed to to get us out of this sort of instinctive uh Childish sort of uh, selfishness that we that we suffer from after the after the fall and so he says that it is merely by extension of this that our divine supernatural life demand demands certain sacrifices so you know we have to sacrifice to, to live well um, just here on earth and in the same way we have to we have to sacrifice in order to to prepare well for for life in heaven. Um, But what the sacrifice required for eternity does not and cannot demand, he says, is a sacrifice of the fundamentally human things. The sacrifices that we make for the sake of eternity are not really contrary to human nature, for it is a supernatural, not a subnatural life that is in question. Now, he says it may make demands which seem at first sight, to be contrary to human dignity, but this will be merely because we do not know all the facts. Thus, a man may suffer all kinds of indignities rather than deny his faith, and this may seem absurd to those who do not know all the facts, i.e. do not themselves believe. Um, and again, we can think about how, you know, as as Christians we believe that, that martyrdom is, is the ultimate act of, of heroism um and the atheist might think that to to die for the sake of belief in in christ was was a ridiculous thing but hopefully if you were to have the 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 conversation with a, an atheist they might nonetheless recognize that to die for for your convictions to die for the sake of truth that that did seem to be a sacrifice that was that was worth that was worth making um and and so we can see that the the sort of the sacrifice asked asked of us for the sake of, of divine things doesn't actually sort of go against our human nature but rather is a transformation of what we recognize as ultimately good and so he says the supernatural life can never make demands which are genuinely contrary to human nature and to human dignity. Above all, it cannot demand that we do what is wicked or believe what is false. The divine teacher does not tell us things which are self-contradictory or false. It is always possible to show, even to someone who does not believe in any article of faith, that these do not involve an absurdity. Christians must, it seems to me, believe that it is always possible to dissolve any argument brought against their beliefs. This itself is a matter of their faith. That creeds are not incredible is itself a part of the creed. In this minimal sense of reasonable, in which we mean not unreasonable, faith is certainly reasonable. Nobody can produce an absolute knockdown argument to show that the believer is talking nonsense. Of course, someone may produce an argument which seems to me knocked down. It is no part of the faith that all believers will be able to answer all possible objections against the creed. But it is part of the faith that any objection is answerable in principle. And so just to illustrate that final point he's making there, um, we we believe as Christians... Um, that the articles of of faith that what we what we believe cannot ultimately be disproved but nonetheless i might come up in uh, in certain circumstances maybe against somebody who's a lot more educated than me or, you know maybe they're they're a lot older than me maybe they're just much more eloquent or a much better rhetorician than me and they might seem to be sort of refuting my arguments um they might seem to be making the the things that i hold to believe look absurd but a part of my faith is that even though i'm conscious that i'm that i'm losing the argument in a certain sense by my faith i'm convicted that nonetheless what i believe is true and that i believe that if a if a sort of a better better theologian or a better philosopher um, of the faith were to come up against this person that he would be able to rebut their arguments in a way um, that i was not able to but it is the it is the case in contemporary society that um and, and and Bishop Robert Barron was pointing this out on a on a recent trip to the to the UK. He said that the sort of the, the, in the in the Catholic um church that we have in a certain sense abandoned our intellectual tradition, and your average adult um in terms of sort of intellectual development in the in in the faith um is is where a, a a 10 or 11 year old would have been 50 60 years ago um and he just points this you can you can look at this if you look at the the religious education textbooks in in catholic schools of, of 50 years ago um and you look at them now we're teaching something so much more simplified now we're not really stretching the minds of our children and we're not really taking seriously um the job of ongoing sort of intellectual formation in the faith and the problem is when that when that takes over an entire culture um then our faith starts to look infantile um and that's what's happened and that's part of what radio maria is intended to be a a reaction against um for those of us who've not received sort of adequate formation in in the faith as 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 children. Um, all our religious instruction programs and diving deeper and, and Credo and, and this the Friar side is designed to to help you go go deeper so that you might, you know, become a, a an an adult in your faith, still with a childlike disposition towards God of 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 trust and a thirst to to know more um from him um and from his and from his church, but but seeking to to understand and bringing, you know, all, all of our faculties, all of our abilities, to uh, to do so. And so now we're going to uh, take another pause for some music, and we're going to listen to uh, "Abba Father" by Steve Garrett.
1: and yours alone.
0: You are listening to The Friar Side with me, Father Toby, and that was Abba Father by Steve Garrett. And uh, we've been discussing Father Herbert McCabe's essay, Our Creed's Credible, looking at the nature of the, the relation between faith and reason. Um, And we've just said that as Christians, uh, we believe that um. There are no knockdown arguments against the things that we hold to be true, although we acknowledge that sometimes um we might not be capable of defending them as well as we would like to be able to um and that's something that we should strive to do um and then Father Herbert goes on to point out that there are some people who are sort of prepared to accept that that christianity is is logic, logically sort of co- coherent um that it has a, a sort of a certain internal um coherence. Um but what he's going to do in the, in this next section is say that in fact that, that sort of coherence is, isn't just internal, uh, internal. Um it's not like some sort of fantasy world say constructed by J.R. Tolkien where everything fits together sort of perfectly um within the in the system and you can't find any faults within it. But rather he's going to argue that if somebody from the outside, with a, an open mind and a, and a good disposition, comes to examine the the arguments for Christianity, that in fact, um, they will find themselves coming to believe in Christianity. So let's listen to how he puts this. He says, "I think that nowadays quite a lot of people would be prepared to accept." that all parts of the faith um, are defendable from any objection against them. They would grant that Christianity does somehow always manage to elude the critic. Just when he thinks it caught in a nice contradiction, theology somehow slips through the logical net. They are prepared to grant that in this sense, Christianity is not unreasonable. It is not sheer nonsense. But the Christian often goes further and certainly I would want to go further. I would claim not only that Christianity is logically coherent, but that also it is reasonable, in the sense that if people consider it coolly and calmly and objectively, there is a very good chance of them coming to believe in it. Of course, most people these days don't have much chance of considering anything at all, even a detergent, coolly and calmly and reasonably, um. And how much more true that is now than when he first wrote it, um. But nonetheless, there are people all around the world each year, actually, who who sort of in the in the midst of the chaos of of, of the world, um, and the sort of various sort of competing ideologies and the and the hot headedness and the shrill voices, um come to that sort of still small voice of of calm spoken of in yesterday's first reading from Elijah and, and come to recognize um God in that and then uh, and then come to come to examine the teachings of the of the of the church and recognize them as true. Um and he says that there are circumstances in which this ought to be possible. He says, I do not say that any investigator will find knockdown arguments to prove that Christianity is true. Indeed, I'm sure that this cannot happen. For example, we'll never be able to sort of, you know, get a video of the resurrection and uh, and show that it did happen. We're always going to be reliant on sort of the the sort of the the historical eye eyewitness sort of evidence of those who saw him risen and those who saw the, the empty tomb. Um there won't be a knockdown argument. There's always going to be an element of trust. Um so he says, but at the same time, he's sure that there are no knockdown arguments against it, for we're dealing with the supernatural, which cannot be arrived at by merely logical means. The kind of argument one has in this sort of matter is not a simple linear argument from these premises through these means to that conclusion. What you have, as Newman pointed out, is a convergence of arguments, each pointing towards the conclusion but none of them absolutely settling it. This is the case in all human studies, history for example. The sort of argument by which someone may come near to Christianity is much more like an historical argument than a mathematical one. And so just a a closing reflection on on what he's um, said there. He's pointing out the fact, um, and, and quoting sort of Cardinal Newman or St. John Henry Newman on the on the idea of a convergence of, of probabilities. That uh the the way that the, the non believer um comes to, to to faith and the and the and the way that the the believer sort of you know persists in their in in their faith um is not through uh sort of a, a syllogism, not through a irrefutable sort of logical argument through two two premises um a major and a minor premise that are necessarily true and therefore belief in christ um follows as as necessarily true but rather a, a convergence of probabilities like this 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 is this is true this seems to me to be true this seems to me to be true this seems to me to be true this seems to, me to be seems to, me to, to be true and all of these things point towards the truth of of christian of christianity um, and so there's not one single knockdown argument, but rather all these small arguments, all the ways that sort of that Christianity points to the the ultimate fulfillment of my sort of every desire, points to 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 um to everything to everything that 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 I need for happiness and 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 takes away the sort of the frust- the frustrations that purely natural answers provide um in in this way uh we we come to accept through an act of the the will the truth of christianity You've been listening to a podcast from Radio Maria. If you enjoy these programs, please consider becoming one of our monthly donors. All you need to do is visit www.radiamariaengland.uk and click on the Support Us tab for various options. We rely entirely on donations, so thank you to all our listeners for their generous support.